You're tuned in to another episode of the Riel's Events Podcast. We're a business podcast all about elevating boring events to enchanting engagements for your nonprofit organization, corporation, or small business. I'm your host, Riel Jones. I am so excited for this week's podcast guest, Mandy Bowman. You might have seen her as a contestant on Centric Television show, Queen Boss, or you might have heard her TEDx talk at Dover, The Power of the Black Dollar. If not, more than likely you've somehow engaged with her on a digital platform, either as the founder of the official Black Wall Street or while she was a part of Essence Magazine as the social media manager. I had a great time talking to Mandy about her journey, about an upcoming dinner I'm doing, about different social media techniques and tips that we should be thinking about for our businesses or our brands, and really delving into how do we really engage our social media audience and think about it in a proactive way that's going to help grow business. I think that this interview just has so many jewels and I I welcome Mandy to come back again um, to join us in the future. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please make sure that you like it, you rate us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and the podcast app, and also talk to us on social media using our handle at Riel underscore events. That's R-I-E-L-L-E underscore E-V-E-N-T-S. Okay, let's get into it. I saw that you're from New York. What part of New York are you from? Uh, well, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Um, currently living in uh, middle of nowhere, Queens, New York. Uh, <laughs> it's fun. How was Brooklyn growing up versus it now? Oh, it's extremely different. Um, so when I, I'm originally from Bedside, Brooklyn, and when I was around 11 or so, I moved to East Flatbush. Um, so Bedside changed immediately. Uh, even going back to, to Bedside, I still have family who live there, but it's so different for me that I just, it feels, it just feels really foreign. So I'm not a fan of going back, um, just because it doesn't really feel like home anymore um, because of gentrification and everything. Yeah. Um, and East Flatbush is right behind it where it's, it's changing a lot. Um, and it's so funny. I remember I talk to people about this all the time who can relate. But usually when you get on the train, you know exactly when you can get a seat. Um, <laughs> I usually get up and get off the train. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's, you know, it's a toss-up. <laughs> you never know. It's interesting. So I know we um, went to schools right near each other. And I'm probably, I'm shocked that we didn't meet earlier on. Um, I went to Wellesley mm-hmm. and you went to Babson. And I remember mm-hmm. going to Wellesley and speaking to a lot of the girls who are graduating and they're like, oh yeah, we're getting a brownstone or we're moving to Brooklyn. It's so cool. It's like, <laughs> and <laughs> it was interesting because you're sitting there in the room and you're, you're hearing the other side of the conversation, you know, like I know growing mm-hmm. up, no one was talking about, yeah, let's go to Harlem and Brooklyn and just, you know, like I feel so comfortable as a young 20 year old single, you know, young white girl. But now to hear it and to hear like the like excitement over it, it's really interesting. I'm in Detroit right now and I see something very similar happening 
we have a lot of NYU students coming here and a lot of like Canadians coming down and they're buying, you know, a lot of different things um, and kind of making their, their stamp on um, Detroit. So I'd be interested to seeing mm-hmm. how um, Detroit looks in the next five or so years. But what, what took you to Babson? Um, so I always, I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to performing arts school in New York. Um, and one of my, I think I took like an economics class or something like that. Um, and that really piqued my interest. Um, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur since junior high school. That kind of piqued it. Um, Babson is such a small school that I would have never known about it. Uh, it was one of my, my teachers. Um, my senior year, who was like, oh, you want to be an entrepreneur? You have to go to Babson. You'll be a millionaire once you leave. Yeah. Um, so I applied. Um, I applied. Honestly, it wasn't my one of my top schools because I always saw myself going to a larger university. Um, but I got in, and I visited um, all the other schools that were at the top of my list, and then I visited Babson. I immediately fell in love with it. Um, walking on campus and then, you know, just the, the, the idea of having like a close relationship with their professors. Yeah. Um, it was a weird feeling, but I remember walking on campus when I went to visit and I, it felt like it was home to me. Mm. Um, so that was it for me. Yeah. I think it's actually a really amazing school. I say actually, because I didn't know anything about it before going to Wellesley and, um, mm-hmm. I like, I didn't know anything about Olin. Um, and I had a lot of friends end up doing like I think they have a winter program winter session program where you try out a business idea and you can go to Wellesley and and be a part of this Babson program and like the Mm -hmm. people who were part of that they came back with so many like connections and ideas but also a clear understanding of what it would be like to be entrepreneur or like even more excited Mm -hmm. about that um was there anything surprising about your experience there? Anything? So, oh, the one really big thing that was surprising for me, um, when you go to Babson, you jump right in. Mm-hmm. So me and a lot of my friends, we were all used to being, like, at, at the top of our classes in high school, and we came to Babson, and it was, like, you actually had to put in a lot of work. Um, so if you were a student that just got things, um, at Babson, it was like, nope, not here. Um, <laughs> you have to put in a lot of, a lot of um, study time, and um, I felt like, even though it's bad to say this, I always compare it to like, I feel like the first semester of Babson was like a haze for me, mm-hmm. um, where it was just a lot more than it was really challenging. That's what I'm trying to say. It was really challenging. Um, and so that semester really humbled me. <laughs> it humbled me a lot. Um, just because it's, it's a challenging curriculum. The first, the first semester in college um, or at Babson, you're challenged with a program. Um, I forgot the, I know the acronym, but I forgot the actual name. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like Foundations of Management and Entrepreneurship, something like that, um, where you get to start your own business and they give you real money to do so. Um, so, you know, wow. it's like, you know, starting all of these new, starting your life, um, living by yourself, mm-hmm. um, trying to meet as many people as possible, um, trying to join as many clubs as possible, and also keeping your footing when it comes to staying 
on top of your classes and on top of the business that you're starting was a lot for me. But it was it was really invaluable because I learned how to manage my time. So I would say that that first semester was a huge surprise. Yeah. Um, was not expecting it. I had a lot of friends who went to large universities, and they were all like, oh, all you have to do is, you know, just pass the test. They don't even have to be in class after you. They won't even know. Um, that was the exact opposite. Right. It was like, you must be in class. Um, participation is like a huge percentage of your grade, um, and the classes are small, so all the professors know you. That was another thing that surprised me. I remember my senior year in college, I guess I was running in the gym, and I kind of twisted my hips, mm. uh, which wasn't anything serious. It just um, hurt a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I had emailed one of my professors and told her, like, oh, I won't be able to make it to class tomorrow because you know, I, something happened with my hips. Uh, my leg, and she actually called me the next day and was like, oh, you know, is everything okay? You know, I can drive you to the nearest hospital. Wow. Like, no, I think you should go, absolutely. And I was like, this is, I feel like this would never happen at a large university. Never, never. Um, yeah, but a lot of the, the faculty and staff, I felt like, were my, my family away from home. So that was something that also surprised me. Wow, that's amazing. I think um, mm-hmm. going back to them actually giving you real money to, to use and stuff, I think that was my biggest thing about Wellesley is that we didn't learn enough business skills. Like, they mm-hmm. hone us. Like, you really delve into writing and research and, you know, yes, analyzing complex information or, like, really dense information. But the business skills, like, starting my own business, a lot of – the things I knew came from growing up in my mother's business and working most of my life in other businesses. You know, it it wasn't actually from my college experience. And um, Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting that Babson from the jump, they're like, no, (laughs) you're going to understand what money is. You're going to understand how you can spend it and the, you know, how, Mm -hmm. what ends up, how it can play out. And then the other thing that you mentioned um, was meeting friends and stuff. And I went on your LinkedIn page, and I, I saw we had a lot of mutual friends, like from Renee mm-hmm. Peters, who I love, um, Lindsay Coleman, who's from up here. Oh, yeah. You have Wendy West, like, I'm, and I'm like, Edna Paul, Khadid, like, I'm literally, like, Ajawa, I'm having chills, Devin, so you knew everybody in Chocolate City and Ethos, basically. Um. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and... and I know for me it was really um, interesting trying to develop that network and community. How was that experience mm-hmm. for you? I know that later on we'll talk about your official Black Wall Street, but meeting all these, like, mm-hmm. everybody that we have mutual friends, they all are doing amazing things, you know? Um, like, mm-hmm. what did that inspire? One thing that I loved about my time at Pat is that, at least me and my friends, we really made an effort to get off campus and meet other people um, in the surrounding Boston area. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those people are still my close friends, um, people I can still call up and say, hey, um, I need a contact at Facebook. Can you help me out? Um, so I think it's just being around a group of people who are just so ambitious um, and unwavering in their attempts to, you know, get higher in life or achieve more in life was, was great for me. Um, when I was at Babson, like I said before, my friends and I made sure that we went off campus. Um, and I think that was one of the best parts about college. Um, or at least I think 
the best part about college is just your network and the people that you meet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are the people that will remain in your life for a very, very long time. Um, so I was really lucky to be able to network with all of these amazing people in the Boston area um, and be able to tap them and just gain knowledge from them or, you know, learn something from them or ask them for help in some area. Um, so I think that's one of the, the really great things about going to to school in an area where there's so many other different schools and different students. Um, another thing about Babson is that um, it's not as well. It's more diverse now than it was when I went there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, I'm I come from from Bedside, so I'm used to chocolate bases everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so it was really important that I establish, you know, my home away from home, so to speak. Um, and that's what I found in, you know, reaching out to other students or other African-American or Caribbean-American or African students mm-hmm. um, and at these other different schools in the area. Um, that was really important to me. So after Babson, you ended up going to Atlantic Records. Is that right? Right. And so um, what did you – I know you were in a digital marketing component. Like, what was that like? Oh, where do I start? Okay, so um, – so working at a record label in marketing was my dream job since high school. I went to, a, like I said before, I went to a performing arts school. I was a vocal major. I always wanted to work in music behind the scenes. Um, so getting that job right out of college or a couple months after college was like a dream come true for me. Um, and it was great. Um, so, so what I was doing there, I was working in digital marketing. So I had a roster of artists and I would... Um, coming up, come up with different um, digital marketing campaigns for any of their priorities, whether it be a new album release or a new single, mm-hmm. um, helping them promote their merch, so forth and so on. And so it was great. I was there for maybe two and a half years or so. Mm-hmm. It started out great. And then there was this period where I felt like, I mean, in the music industry, there are a lot of different, very loud personalities. Yeah. And I felt like it was just a high-stress environment. I was poor, basically. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it until I moved out of my parents' house and started living on my own with my roommate. And so it was just like, I don't think this is, you know, I don't think it's worth it anymore. Um, and on top of that, I, that was when I had gotten the idea of cutting official Black Wall Street. And I realized that I just did not have time to focus on it because I was always at work. You know, if a manager needed needed to walk, if I needed to walk a manager through something or an artist manager through something, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, I was answering the phone and on them and, you know, and talking to them at 10 o'clock at night. If an artist had an album go um, released on Thanksgiving Day, you were working on Thanksgiving Day. There were just a lot of different things. And so I was just like, you know, this is great, but I think it's time for me to move on to something else. And so from there, I had I started looking for a new job, and I landed something at Complex as a social strategist. So Atlantic Records was, it started out great. And I'm really, you know, grateful that I got that experience fresh out of college so that I knew, like, okay, you know, now I can pivot to something else. Right, um, right. I was chasing after that for, you know, years and years and years after. What does digital marketing look like around an album release party? Uh, so it would be, usually what we would do is come up with any type of 
So of course there's a social component in terms of um, you know updating all of the, the the artist properties, their social pages with the new album cover um, um, or new creative, um, and you know posting on their page or having or sending them the, the materials to post like hey you know this is out today go out and get it here's the link. Um, but outside of that we would come up with different um, kind of outside of the box creative campaigns to do. Uh, for example, you know, a user-generated contest, um, user-generated contest, and you build out a microsite, and people are able to like plug themselves into the album and post it on their properties. So it would usually be things like that that we would do either leading up to the release or the day of the release to kind of amplify it a little bit more. So it would really range, okay, um, depending on what it was. That makes sense. And I had another question. I know for a lot of people recent graduates, we we do our first job out, we hope that it's our ideal experience, you know, <laughs> and then a lot of times, mm-hmm. like nine times out of ten, we find out more about work cultures, and um, perhaps like what is right for us, and a part of that journey is also, there's a mental health component, and a self-care component, so like once you recognize that, like, yes, this was a great opportunity, and it was what you wanted in the beginning, that it perhaps warned you, like you were saying, just the different personalities and all of that can be a lot. Um, how did you take care of yourself? Like, how did you bounce back from being tired from, you know, committing to a position that perhaps wasn't the best fit long term? Mm-hmm. Um, while I was there, that's a really good question. Um, you know, back then, I don't think that I... I don't think that I prioritized self-care in the way that I should have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably because I was just always on go. Mm. Um, like I said before, it was really long hours. And when I first started, I loved it because I was like, oh, this is my dream job. I'm here till 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> yep. um, and then it starts to wear on you and you're like, okay, I can't do anything else. Like I have no other life outside of this. Um, and so I think I, I've, Honestly, I did a horrible job when it came to self-care. Like, I can't even remember, besides maybe traveling every once in a while, mm-hmm. um, you know, nearby, traveling nearby every once in a while. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't think I did a great job at, at self-care at all. It, it took me a while to, to really pull back. I think what I did do was literally just looking for a new job and saying, okay, this is enough. I'm stressed out. I'm not happy here. But let me just move. Yeah. And go somewhere else. And, and what what inspired official Black Wall Street at that time? Uh, so when I graduated, I read a book about the um, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like I said before, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So um, reading about how there were so many different entrepreneurs in that area who were so successful representation really does matter. And I remember being in junior high school and telling people, like, I want to be the next P. Diddy, mm. or whatever his name was at that point in time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so just reading about all these entrepreneurs who did these amazing things and were pioneers in real estate and had their own movie theaters and pharmacies and all these other things was really inspiring to me. Um, and that what kind of caused me to look around and be like, I don't think I know of any, you know, besides Oprah and, you know, the right. usual names that we draw. I don't think I know of any uh, that are like that. And it kind of reminded me of my old neighborhood in Bedside. 
And it made me want to go ahead and support as many, you know, black entrepreneurs and black-owned businesses as possible, especially, you know, looking into gentrification and, um, and seeing how many black-owned businesses were just priced out of their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, hit, it hit home for me, and that's what caused me to kind of start um, supporting black businesses. And so I compiled a list because, you know, there weren't a lot of um, reliable, updated and user-friendly directories at that time. So I started compiling a list, and I was like, and all these businesses I found were so amazing that I just wanted other people to, to find out about them and support them as well. So I created these social accounts, and I literally just spent days just posting um, on social media about these different businesses. Yeah. Um, and from there, I got the idea of creating a directory for New York. And I was like, you know what, you know, why not just do wherever, you know, the whole, mm. the whole country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it was around the time when the Michael Brown shooting happened that I really, I really became passionate about it um, because I felt like I was actually doing something to push us forward. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, you know, where my, my motivation came from, um, came from it. And then can you kind of describe what black, official Black Wall Street is now, um, both the social media side and the website? Sorry, one more time? Like, what has um, official Black Wall Street grown into over the last few years, both on the website and the actual um, social media? Uh, it's grown a lot, and, you know, so I didn't imagine it, it when I first saw it, I didn't imagine it, it would be something that I would someday quit my job for and pursue full time. Mm-hmm. But the response has been really amazing. Our social following has grown so much and there are so many people who 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 see it as a useful resource um, and who go to it time and time again to find black businesses. And so it's grown a lot and I think it, it'll continue to grow. I think the biggest the biggest, or the thing that really made me look at this and say, okay, this is something that I, I really need to push for and continue pushing for was when I launched Kickstarter and you know, I really saw how supportive people were and how excited they were for an app to come out of it. So I think, you know, the, the, the response has been really amazing. I'm, I'm excited for to see what, what this will look like in five years. Like, I'm, I'm really excited about it and I don't think I've shared this with you, but when I first got on Instagram a few years ago, and I, I think it's probably around the same time you started your pages, I I was really upset and I was disheartened by, like, as soon as I signed up, all the images were of, like, overly exposed black and Latino women, you know? And it didn't reflect mm-hmm. me and it didn't reflect my interests. And so I'll, I don't know how I came across your page, but it was just so inspirational seeing all mm-hmm. the different people all around that were doing that are doing great work and have their own businesses, but also how you wrote them up or how you talked about them and, and you know, really put the spotlight on them. And it really inspired me to completely change everything that I was following, you know, so that even what would mm-hmm. perfect. Um, circulate in the explore page would be more like the content you were creating and um mm. for it's interesting I'm not about to get too religious but like this our bible mm. study was about 
us being the light in the darkness for other people. So even if it's not, you're not at mm-hmm. the place where you want to be, just being a little bit of good, like, just being a little mm-hmm. different can just cat like show people a way that brings them like energy and happiness and all of that. And that's definitely what your page was for me. Um, Cause I was just mm-hmm. upset. Oh, I was, yeah, I was disgusted. Like really, is this all? I can find that looks like it is about me are these things that I don't really you know that are exploitative in, in my mind and stuff so I I deeply have a um affinity for what you're doing at, thank you and so then you you started work at complex media how was that mm-hmm. yeah I was there for a little over a year mm-hmm. um so that was that was pretty good um, I had a good experience there um, during that time, I I came to the realization that I probably that I could not work somewhere else. I mm-hmm. couldn't work for someone else. Um, so I went there with the mindset that I'm just I'm just here for um, to get through mm-hmm. um, and to build whatever I'm building. But see, I guess the only thing that kind of surprised me about Complex is that um, it's very it's very focused on, like, hip-hop, um, sneaker culture. Um, so I kind of thought that it would be a little more, um, a little bit more melanin. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? it's <laughs> um, not? In the office. No, it's not. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone there is, is young in spirit, um, mm-hmm. and they're... They're about the culture, but I just thought that there would be a lot more um, black faces yeah. um, or black people who were there. Even looking at um, kind of the executives, there were a lot of middle-aged white men. Just like, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the only thing. But that's when I came to the realization that this is the case at a lot of different companies that, um, that um, kind of profit off of the profit off of like urban hip hop yeah uh, sneaker culture mm-hmm. that that really that actually <laughs> I was not expecting that I expected it to be mm-hmm. mostly African American men you know uh, perhaps in their 30s or whatever like that's my image of complex um mm-hmm. so that kind of that yeah, kind of surprised me um wow okay <laughs> And then how did you end up at Essence? Um, so what was interesting about that is that I wasn't even looking for a job at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, or I wasn't looking to transition out. Um, I was um, one of my, actually, someone had from HR at Time Inc. Essence had contacted me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And so we have this position open, you know, do you want to apply for it um, or interview for it? Um, so I was like, Essence, absolutely. Right. So sign me up. <laughs> forever. Um, so that's where that, and everything, you know, kind of fell into place and worked out. So that's where, you know, the transition to Essence came from. That's really cool. And, and um, first, is how big is Essence? Like, I think in... Black culture is, like, huge. <laughs> but, like, how big is the team? Mm-hmm. It's actually not that big. Um, we have one office. Let me make sure I'm not. Yeah, we have one office in New York. 
with Time Inc. Um, I, I can't I can't even remember how I can't put a number on happiness from my memory, but it definitely wasn't as big as I um, or as massive as I thought it was. So the team there is, is definitely small but mighty. Yeah. Um, and what I love is that there were so many women there who were just doing amazing things in their field. Like, no one was just an editor. It was an, I'm, I'm an editor, and I'm also editor-in-chief at this other magazine I started. Uh, I'm an editor, and I also have this other thing I'm doing on the side, um, which I love. Right. There's not a lot of work cultures that um, promote that. You know, they're like, I want a hundred percent of your, one hundred fifty percent of your effort or your time, and you can't use your skills for anything else. So that's really, that's really cool. Right. Um, has it been what you expected? Has it shocked you, like being the social media manager there? Well, it wasn't necessarily what I expected. Um, it was a great experience. Um, how do I put? It was. I'll say that it was a lot more work than, in a different type of work than I had expected going in. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the time that I was there, I or I was already full-blown fiscal by Wall Street. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't about that life where, you <laughs> where someone was like texting me at 10 o'clock about work. Right. Um, it was like, all right, you know, 5 o'clock, I'm out. Um, I don't want to be texted about work. Um, I'll see you out in the morning. Uh, and it wasn't, that wasn't the case. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, for that, that was really different from what, you know, I expected. I get that. And I, I've talked to, like, a lot of um, entrepreneurs, like, lately, and a lot of people mm-hmm. um, talk about being going down their path, and all of a sudden they get to a point where they start to have really deep conviction for some the thing that they're meant to do, like, the thing that they feel like they have, like, a purpose for right now, so... For you, it'd be BWS, and then getting other really great opportunities that would have been, like, (laughs) the best thing ever, and start realizing that, like, you know what? This thing that has been put on my heart is actually the thing that I I really want to dedicate the majority of my time to, you know, even though other things are great and stuff like that, so that's really interesting. Um, One thing I've noticed Mm -hmm. is that Essence is one of the few magazines that has been really good at um, switching over to digital and not just staying in the print world, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. What was, like, the conversation around that and, like, you know, around even, like, social media use? How did they promote being able to be so fluid and and switch over mediums? Uh, Well, I think at the time... um you know, years ago, they had seen the, the drop in um, print magazines. And so um, I think they were really great at jumping on um, the digital bandwagon. Um, and we all know how um, how big social media is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were really great about saying, okay, this is a new platform. Let's jump on this. Um, this is, you know, what millennials are looking at now. Let's make sure that we are in that conversation. Um, or this is who millennials are, you know, talking to now or talking about now. So let's make sure that we we're inclusive of, you know, the new the um the new school of actors and, and artists and entertainers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was 
mean, digital was definitely a huge priority. I was I worked on the digital side, not well, of course, um, social media. Um, but there was a digital team and a, and a print team. Um, so I think that was uh, the first major step in just making sure that there was a, a team that was dedicated to um, cranking stuff out on the web and making sure that we were on top of anything new and big and exciting that happened on the web and in social media. And I think it's really interesting um, looking just even at the Twitter page alone and seeing how good y'all are at, like you said, being very current and what people are talking about. And a lot of times you hear people mm-hmm. talk about how like black Twitter is really dominating the, you know, Twitter, com- overall Twitter conversations for a lot of different things. And it seems like y'all are really good at also setting kind of the conversation versus having to just be responding to people, you know, and mm-hmm. and making well, their presence that way. Yeah, I'm sorry, they. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. They are, um, and not just making their presence known because they're talking back to someone or they're retweeting somebody. Like, I think that's, mm-hmm. that, that's really cool and interesting because some companies have tried to, but they haven't, I think, some companies have tried to become more interactive on social media versus just taking their brand to the digital space and using it as a another platform, you know, like, and so mm-hmm. I thought, I think that's really interesting. So like, as is fast is huge. So do you know if they have any um, campaign preparations they do beforehand as you start knowing who the audience, I mean, who the um, performers are going to be? like for the digital and social media side and um how early do yeah. they start prepping for that um i would say maybe a couple months after or before um any major event um, or the festival that's when kind of the, the brainstorming starts happening or at least when we have people who are locked in mm-hmm. when they have people who are locked in that's where the, the brainstorming would come into play um yeah that's interesting. And so as people start thinking about social media campaigns, I know for a lot of us individuals or even a lot of nonprofits, we don't think as much about social media campaigns. It's like, get the young person and let them tweet something out <laughs> versus having an actual like plan. Um, can you speak to why it's important to have a social media plan and, or campaign and what does that look like? on the business side yeah yeah um so with social media i mean everything happens on social if you're looking for or at least me um maybe it's because i'm a little bit more biased um working in the social media space but if i'm looking for anything more times than not i'll go to instagram and search for it Mm -hmm. um, or twitter and search for it so i think that's where at least nowadays that's where the, the magic usually happens and that's why i'm i'm always telling Black business owners that they need to have some sort of a social presence. Online presence definitely, but a social presence is also extremely helpful. And when it comes to, you know, social campaigns for any large priority, I think the the lead up is always extremely important. At just about any company I've worked at, countdowns were usually were usually a go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and just making sure that people know the value that you're bringing to the table when it comes to whatever it is that you're promoting, whether it be a festival or a new album release or a new product, it's just really important to remind people of what they're they're paying for. 
and how much value you're adding to their lives with whatever it is that you're you're bringing um, to the market. And making sure that you do some follow-through. So it's not just promoting while leading up to the event or the product launch and then promoting the day up and making sure you have some type of action plan for afterwards so that things don't just die out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you see, like, a... Do responses for, like, pictures versus videos, is there a difference? Should people invest in having quality videos done? Or should they just worry about being consistent and putting things up? Um, I'd say yes and yes. Consistency is really, really important. You don't want to get to the point where someone follows you and then, you know, your goals for a long period of time and you post something and they're like, when did I even follow this person? And they unfollow you. So you want to make sure that you're consistent um, so that your engagement stays up. But I think videos are also really important, especially with the way that so Facebook changes their algorithm probably every two seconds. Mm-hmm. So there's um, every once in a while there's always something new that's being that's more in favor of when it comes to your news feed. And recently that's been video content. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that videos are still should be included in your social media plan to some extent, especially where Facebook is concerned. And so I'm someone who, I don't want to call myself homely, but I don't beat my face every day, you know? And I feel like a lot of these great women on social media, like they come ready to model. Um, And I know Mm -hmm. even for myself, that has intimidated me from putting more videos out or just like, let me whip get on and have an Instagram story or even a Snapchat page for what I'm doing. Like, is that important? Should should me and other people kind of be a little bit more vulnerable and just do it? What do you think? Um, so I'm in, I'm in the same boat as you. Um, I appreciate a nice beat face, but I can't, I, I just can't do it. <laughs> or frequently at all. Yeah. Um, I'm more of a, What's a good word for it? Um, I'm more laid back when it comes to my appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's I think it's it's important to look decent, um, but having a beat face is 100% not necessary. Okay. Uh, especially if it's not you. Um, and I think that also goes to just showing your personality on your personal page a little bit more. Because so there are some people who are just not into seeing a beat face all the time. Um, like myself, as long as your content is, as long as whatever you're sharing is informative, then I, I, and you don't look like, you know, maybe you live on the street. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think as long as you look decent and you're sharing something that's informative, you definitely don't need to go ahead and, you know, completely beat your face um, to post a video. Yeah. You know, um, I think for some people it's necessary, but for everyone, you know, yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, you you hit on something really important, like, your personality and letting your personality start to show throughout the videos. Mm-hmm. I can see that being very important. I'm someone who gets very stiff in front of the camera, so all of this is pushing me outside my comfort zone. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I appreciate I'm this. Right there with you. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But somebody that I really like is this guy from Atlanta, Derek Jackson. Have you seen his little, Mm -hmm. 
I, I guess they're like minute long. That familiar. He does like these relationships. Oh, stuff. I know. I know you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, like I live for him right now. Um, but that's another story. That's a whole nother podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. conversation. But I like. I so I've been looking at his um different videos, and there's a couple things I like about him. One, he doesn't have any gimmicks. He's not. Mm-hmm. Literally, you'll see him in like a regular tank top and or like a shirt, and he's just giving you three quick tips. He's mm-hmm. not changing his voice. He's not trying to be anything weird to to get your attention. So it's like really authentic. And then the second thing I like about him is that I've seen him really change up his videos. So like now he'll have. Um, words on the top and on the bottom with like an icon that lets you know what the video is going to be about. So how can you tell Bay isn't interested anymore? Like there's usually like five five words, but I can't mm-hmm. think of it. Like it's very short. So like when I look at it, I'm like, mm, okay, like I'm interested in this. And he doesn't have mm-hmm. to do the transcribing on the videos. Because I wouldn't have enough patience to go back to each video and type out every word I'm saying just so someone will click my video. Right. You know, I mm-hmm. think that's another level. So I like him. I like I like the that he's ch- changing it up and that he's um you know shows his personality and stuff like that. Um, do you have any mm-hmm. tips for people like so who are starting out and you see like these people have been really good at building their meet their presence um and show who they are um any tips i would say probably the, the best one is just to be authentic um with what we just talked about but um not having a phone and show because it's always or at least i feel like it's always um noticeable when someone is trying to put on a show or be something or sound some way that they're not um, so I would say, one, um, be authentic in whatever you're sharing. Um, I follow a couple of um, a couple of black entrepreneurs, um, and I always look through their Instagram stories because they're just showing, like, you know, all right, well, you know, they're just showing basically the steps that they, they take to do whatever they, they do mm-hmm. um, throughout the day. And I always think it's, it's interesting to see how um, – how other people prep their products or, um, you know, what their day-to-day looks like. Um, so I think that's probably the, the easiest way to start. Um, and then just, you know, also I think what's really important and what I recently learned is that it's really important to make sure that you establish yourself as a as a knowledgeable person. I won't say expert, but as yeah. a knowledgeable person in your field. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be, or you can do that by just listing tips or things that you've learned or, you know, talking about different lessons, um, different mistakes that you've made, um, your triumphs, um, things like that, just so that people, people know that, know what you do. And if there is ever an opportunity for you to sit on the panel or anything, or, you know, talk to people about whatever you do your name automatically comes up in their head because they're like, oh, yeah, you know, she talks about, you know, the do's and don'ts or, mm-hmm. you know, her her biggest mistakes, you know, in starting her business or whatever the case may be. I think those things are, are pretty important. 
You know, that's so true. I don't know if you listen to the podcast, uh, Minority Trailblazers. Um, it's a young man from North Carolina. I, I, we both have been mm-hmm. on each other's podcast, and he interviews yeah. different um, black um, young people, pretty much, who are who are um, becoming trailblazers in their own sense, or, or doing things that perhaps we don't typically think of as paths for us. Um, but he talks about his journey, and he's talked about being the big man on campus and then becoming homeless. And um, even on my mm-hmm. podcast, he talked about how in an event, he lost $25,000. And not just his money, but friends' oh, wow. money. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. that making him homeless and then doing another event and having the same result, you know, and um, mm-hmm. some of the practices behind that. But that vulnerability and being able to... Mm-hmm. 100% own this is what happened, this is my journey, and and also be very positive about it. You could tell, like, mm-hmm. he does a lot of speaking t- um, engagements, but it really touches people. And um, even, I'm, I'm pretty open in my real life, but I don't, I don't know if I'm to the level of being comfortable with being that open to the world. So I applaud people. Mm-hmm. Who are like that, and like you said, it it makes you think of them for doing other things in the future, you know, or right. Um, I just have a couple more questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wondered, um, now that you know, you're really delving into building your own um business and your brand. How how's your family's reaction been when you're like social media is my Thing. like because this is not something that's been around for even two decades like or one perhaps well maybe 10 years but you know what I mean it's new it's very new yeah so how's my family my family reaction yeah um so it was kind of interesting um I'm not sure that they I think my mom knows what I do mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my work in the past in terms of social media um because it was a little bit more straightforward in terms of uh, being a community manager and updating pages. Um, but prior to that, I definitely, it took a lot of explaining. And at some point, it was just like, you know, I work in marketing. That's mm-hmm. what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> a little bit more. Um, so it has been difficult to explain social media because it is new. And there is so much that goes into social. Um, I think that's a common mis- misconception mm-hmm. that a lot of people have. Uh, when it comes to social media, because there are so many different areas, and because it's it's a major priority with a lot of companies, from insurance to entertainment companies, there's just so many different, um, from coming up with campaigns to pulling analytics and then the strategy side, there's just so much that goes into it. So for me, it's been it's been difficult to to explain it. But I think the only thing that helped me was the company that I was at. So it was so I think they would probably just focus more on like, oh she works at Essence. Right. <laughs> it was like, okay, that's good enough. We can we can work with that. Right. Like that's yeah, a solid career. Right. <laughs> so I'm having a little bit of a struggle explaining it. Um and at some point I was just like, you know, especially when explaining it to um an older generation, um, for me it was just a lot easier to like, you know, I work in, you know, in marketing. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in marketing. Somewhere in there. That's where I work. And, like, when you 
See, especially, um, it seems like, from what I could tell, as a regular person not in this field, it seems like there's a lot of young girls who are interested in perhaps social media as a career. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times, like you're saying, like, social media is complex. In a di or broader speaking, digital marketing is very complex. And I don't think that there's a lot of talk about, okay, yeah, you could put up a post and it could be really, like, it can make a lot of people click on it, but it's different from building a brand. Like, how do you mm -hmm. talk to them about, like, what does it really mean to build a career out of this versus building a personal page that, you know, highlights you? <laughs> yeah, um, I've gotten that a lot. You know, when I tell people about what I do, and they're like, oh, that's cute. That sounds like a lot of fun. And I'm like, that's actually a lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's just a matter of explaining the different areas of social media. Cause people just assume it's like, oh, you just post a bunch of cool things um, online. You know, that's what I do every day. Right. I know my easy. angles. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but there's so much more that goes into it in terms of um, digging into your target market, figuring out what they like and what they don't like. Um, and social media is also extremely touchy because um, it's probably one of the few um, avenues where the consumer decides your brand, basically. Um, so you can do something wrong, we've seen that plenty of times, and all of a sudden you are the brand that did something wrong because you have people who are able to voice their opinions on social media. Now, if you put up a billboard, people can't, you know, write on the billboard and Right. And say, you know, oh, this company did X, Y, and Z. Now, if it's a TV ad, you know, no one can um, can directly, you know, go against whatever you're saying on the TV ad. But when it's social media, you have the consumer's voice right um, up front. And so it becomes really difficult to make sure that you are um, staying on brand, making sure that you are correctly reaching your target market, um, not offending anyone, if not making any mistakes as well, um, right. people will definitely go in on you and take those three shots. Um, right. And then looking at the analytics, because you also have to meet all of your KPIs and make sure that you, you know, whatever, um, if you need to make sure that you're bringing a certain amount of traffic to your website, you need to make sure that you meet those KPIs and figure out how to meet them before the end of the month. Um and also make sure that you're consistently growing and that you're, everything that you do, you're doing is on brand in terms of your voice, the kind of pictures you post, whether you're going to go with, making sure that it's consistent. So, you know, we're using this filter, this is a filter, this is our filter. This right. Is the filter that we're going to be using. Um, yeah, there's just, and then making sure that there is, there is a different, making sure that when people follow you, they're getting something different on each platform so that they have a reason to follow each one. Mm -hmm. So there's just so much that goes into it. And being consistent, because if you're working for a big brand, you can't just say, you can't just say, you know, I'm only going to post three times a day. No, you're posting maybe 70 times a day. Wow. Um, yeah, so there's, there's just so much that goes into it. Um, and that's just the, the community management and posting side, but then there's also, you know, coming up with larger scale campaigns and making sure that those follow through and executing those. And there's just a lot that comes into it. You know, like, so... I feel like I'm winded just talking about it. No, no, like, you put me, you got me straight with my social media, and I will, well, at least with my Instagram, and I will say, I was on a roll for a while, 
and then life hit me, and that's not a good excuse. But um, not having that consistency, I lost a lot of followers and a lot of the momentum. Mm-hmm. I know that it's just a matter of me getting back on like the horse or whatever. And I know a lot of people were telling me about automated systems. Do you suggest those, mm-hmm. or are there any ones that you like that are good? Um, so one that that I had usually used um, is Social Flow. Mm-hmm. Um, Hootsuite is also good as well. So those are probably the two that I've had the most experience with. Um, I don't think there's like a free version of Social Flow though. Okay. Um, but I have no idea how much that costs. Uh, for small business owners and enterprises. Mm-hmm. And then um, what metrics do you look at or do a lot of businesses look at? Um, I would say engagement is really big. Mm-hmm. Um, so engagement is actually really important. And you can tell a lot about a page based on their engagement. So before, there would be a lot of people who would buy followers. You can go to their page and, then, you know, they have 300,000 followers and only get, like, you know, 10 likes on the picture. And it's like, okay, you clearly bought these. Yeah. Um, so I think people are moving away from, oh, I need as many followers as possible. Let me just, you know, do, what, do whatever I need to do to make sure I have um, X amount of digits to, okay, I need to get engagement and make sure that people are liking these pictures and engaging with it and actually reading them and commenting. Um, so I think engagement is really important. Um, also growth rate. Um, so if you're, if you're doing everything in your power to hopefully grow your page and you realize that you're not, you're not seeing anything move, then it's, that's kind of indication that, okay, well, I need to um, figure something else out mm-hmm. um, or shift my strategy and try something different. So I would say that looking at the growth rate and also looking at your engagement is really important, especially in determining what works for your audience and what doesn't work. Are there, like, robot... Okay, okay, this is about to sound silly. But, like, I've gotten on some of my posts, like, comments that look very similar. And, like, that could be people. Like, good job or great page, thumbs up. But then sometimes I'm like, is this a robot that just somehow found my page and didn't really, um, yeah, like, in, so are there robots that kind of can respond to pages and, like, should people be worried about that or as long as you're getting engagement, as long as people are liking it and commenting, then that counts? You know, I'm actually not sure because I've seen, I've seen exactly what you're talking about where people, like, um, love your content or love your feed. Yeah. Um, and it's just like some extra random person who wouldn't even follow you. Um, I've seen that before, and that's a good question. I'm not sure if, if there are bots that are able to do that. Um, some of the pages actually look kind of legit. Yeah. Like their actual brand. Um, yeah, I'm not. That's a good question. I'm not sure. Okay. Because I'm always like scared that, like, I don't know, when it comes to this space, I always delegitimize my work. <laughs> or like, no, this can't be real. This has to be something behind it. Um, but yeah, I was, I, I just wondered about that um, randomly. What pages do you look at now that you really like how they curate their page or their brand? Um, what pages? Um, I would say... I would say I do like Blavity and oh, yes. Instagram. It used to be Blavity Life. I forgot what it's called now. I know it's a number 21. Okay, I can't remember. <laughs> um, but it used to be called Blavity Life. It's like their Instagram. But I do like, I love um, their Instagram feed. 
and how clean it is and um, simple and kind of curated mm-hmm. it looks. But I do, I love a lot of these pages. And I would say for Facebook, I'm a fan of Very Smart Brothers. Oh, I haven't um, heard of that yet. Because I'm, really? Yeah. I have, um, yeah, I think they're, they're owned by The Root now. Um, but I like their Facebook page just in the fact that, um, so I'm, I'm accustomed to brands that always post maybe, like when you're posting an article, you just post maybe like a quick liner. But with them, they'll post like half of the article um, in their Facebook caption. And I always thought that that was a horrible idea because then who's going to click on the article? But I found myself actually clicking into it for the rest of it. So I thought that, so I think that's really interesting. Um, I don't think of any other one. I feel like Refinery29 was one on Instagram that mm-hmm. I would reference a lot, just in the way that they curate things. And the way that they, they curate their Instagram stories as well and their different graphics is really cool. I haven't gotten into Instagram stories yet. Um, mm-hmm. I think, so one thing I know about myself is I'm always late to technology. Like, my mom was, she had the first <laughs> iPod, and I was like, girl, I got this Walkman, I'm good. Like, I got my CD, ca- <laughs> my CD oh, <wow>. case. <laughs> like, every oh, time, like, something new would happen, my mom would be, like, the first one. I'm like, girl, ain't nobody gonna use that. You're like, what a shuffle like all the generations and so like even now like I think for me Instagram stories is too much like Snapchat and that's too new for me like no um (laughs) I I, I just gotta get over that um just always I don't know but yeah I I like the page womanure I don't know if you've seen that one yet they have like what is it again womanure like woman and then E-U-R is at the oh, end. Gotcha. It's like mm-hmm. female entrepreneurs, and I like theirs. It's pretty clean. It's like white and orange, and they do like some white and black pictures. Um, and they have really, I like their quotes. So I love quotes, but the quotes I pick are always very wordy, because <laughs> I'm wordy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. theirs, oh, theirs are really like direct. They're like six words and it hits you and I I think that's really cool and it tends to actually start conversation which is really Mm -hmm. um interesting to see and I don't think they actually do any video which is also surprising because there's not like one person that's their face of their page you know um yeah it's it's actually really good um and I because I've been playing around with our page I know like at first I was looking doing things behind the scenes of events that I was a part of or I planned. And now we're launching our, our own event. You might, this actually might be interesting to you. I know we talked about it a long time ago, Incognigrum. Um, mm-hmm. And I like, so I thought of the title because for a lot of black people, <laughs> it triggers something in you, uh, especially if you, went to predominantly white institutions or you work in a predominantly white space and a lot of times Mm -hmm. you've heard that word as someone who's assimilating too much and you feel like they're they're the carlton of fresh prince like they lost their blackness some somewhere Mm -hmm. along (laughs) the path and um for me like when you name some or deem someone an incognito a lot of times you forget that they don't have the same um access to the same things as people of non-color 
And now that you're alienating them, they're not going to have any of the um, resources from the people of color either. So now they're really out there, right. and they're just trying to do their job. <laughs> and they're just trying to fit mm-hmm. in and keep it moving, and now, like, they're really, they're really out there. And so with this group, I really wanted to talk about um, all of that, from assimilation to alienation, how do we navigate workplace conflict and microaggressions as Afro professionals? Um, in a lot of spaces, we are the minority, and we don't have the mm-hmm. networks and the support, or even the long-standing knowledge. Like, you went to Babson, which was awesome. It taught you a lot about business, but a lot of us, we don't have that. Um, we didn't get taught that. Mm-hmm. And then also, looking at mental health. Um, a lot of stuff impacts us, and it impacts us as professionals, Just not just when we get off work. <laughs> and we deal with mm-hmm. the reality. And so, like, having a space of other Afro professionals where you can talk about mental health, you can be a real community and, like, push each other forward and, like, be vulnerable in your experiences and own up to, like, this is what has happened to me. Like, yeah, I might be 60 years old, but that experience hurt me 30 years ago, and I still carry that with me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wanted it to be the first part. It's a five-course dinner. I wanted it to be that way because um, I started learning how to cook when I was like eight or nine, and my mom started teaching Mm -hmm. me how to cookbook, and so each one did them in courses. You know, you had your soups, your (laughs) your salads, your your main course, your you know, and so that's how I started to learn how to cook. And when I was about nine years old, I did my first five course dinner for my family, like out of town people from Alabama. Of course, everybody's like, again, now that I look back, I'm like, I was always that weird cousin that was not quite, everybody else had barbecues. I'm over here like, I made vinaigrette for you all for the salad. But like, my family, they're, unlike me, they're all really quiet, and um, each time I bring out a new course, uh, the next course, people would just light up. They were talking about things and from 1940-something in Alabama and, like, stories we'd never heard of before. And Mm -hmm. the house was filled with laughter and, like, just good feelings, which, for my family, they could sit in the same room for hours and not speak and be perfectly fine. No one frustrated (laughs) anybody else. They good. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I wanted to do something like that where we're bringing everybody together um, as a family and, like, we're really catering to our members versus like y'all be happy we getting together be happy you got some food like no I want to cater to our guests um and so I'm excited because next Thursday will be our first dinner it's going to be at the historic 1904 Albert Kahn um aquarium Albert Kahn um was a designer architect up here and he made the most elaborate buildings, like the most gilded <laughs> Renaissance buildings you can imagine. And so um, having it at this space, like I've, you know, they don't make aquariums like this anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And I know what that. What is it called again? The Bell Owl Aquarium. And so Bell Owl is a little island. And the architect's name again? Albert Kahn, K H A N. And. Like, 
it's just I know it's, I'm really excited about it. It's we're going to talk about navigating workplace conflict as Afro professionals and as leaders. Of course, they have to navigate the space, but they also are being a lot of people are looking up to them as to resolve things or their input or you know um, really positively affecting the work culture. So some of the things that we talked about before of how to make it like a better space for everybody. That just saying, like, full circle, because we talked about this months ago, <laughs> is, mm-hmm. is finally happening, and it's something that, like, I don't think, oh, good. I think, like, just seeing your page, to be honest, is something that also helped inspire this in me, too, because it reminded me that there are a lot of us out here, um, and there are a lot of us out here who are working with character and integrity and are trying to push forward for a better community for everybody, you know, not just our own, but Mm -hmm. for everybody. And that, that outweighs some of the um, pop culture that might be more detrimental to our, every, you know, our overall uh, American community and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. it's just, you are, yeah, you're being a light to other people, even when you don't know it. <laughs> other people are being inspired by you. I can say that even for myself. Aww. So I thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm really glad to hear that, you know, everything is up and running um, with Incognito because I think it's such an amazing idea. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited for you, too. Definitely let me know how um, the first event goes. I will. I'll let you know how it goes. Were y'all on the – were you on a show um, – on TV One? No, not TV One. Um, on Centric, Centric, yeah, uh, Queen Boss. Yes! Oh, my God! When I tell you, I almost died when I saw the episode. I was like, because <laughs> when you root for something and, like, but when you see something and you're like, this is authentically good, you know, I don't even know the people, but I'm rooting for them. Like, okay, you, you handled yourself so well. And when I tell you I felt some kind of way that you didn't win, I was like, best believe, be happy I don't got a bigger Twitter following. Be happy you only got 40 people following me because I wanted to, like, <laughs> I want to add Candy. I want to add everybody there. Like, no. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, are you serious? <laughs> did you get any feedback from it? Any, like, anything or... So, so their feedback or the reason why they said I didn't move forward, uh, which I noticed that they changed or they, they cut it in a different way, but they said that they didn't know what I would use the money for. And I was like, what? Come on what now. What do you mean? Yeah. Right. Um, I forgot what they changed it to on the, the, um, on the actual show, what they cut it to. Yeah. Um, but I remember when I was leaving, Right after I finished my pitch, um, and they finished asking me questions, I left, and um, Rakia, who was one of the judges, like, she made a comment about how this would be such, like, this would be great in America, but it would be such an amazing tool in South Africa, or places like that as well. And I was like, oh, okay, that's actually, I see that. I was only thinking, yeah, I was only thinking in the in the U.S., but I was like, that would, that's actually um, great feedback. Yeah. Um, otherwise... I guess, yeah, otherwise, I didn't, I feel like I didn't get, they didn't give any um, constructive, like, okay, you know, this is what you should have in place, or this is what you 
should be doing differently or what we're, or what we're looking for um, type of feedback. Because I felt like yours was the most realized and I felt like yours actually had real support, you know, where like mm-hmm. we would want to see what would be the next stage for you. You know, like how do you bring, like what's the next level? And like I think... I don't know. I was very. I don't. I can't remember who won to be honest. Because at that point, like, I felt some kind of way. Like I kept watching, but I felt some kind of way. Like this ain't that legit. Like, <laughs> how did you find out about that? Just out of curiosity about the program. You know, really interesting. So yeah. So I launched um, my Kickstarter, and. Kickstarter was really great. Um, it was so stressful. I would not do it again. Yeah. Um, at least by myself again. Um, but it was great because a lot of exposure came out of it. Um, and from that Kickstarter, I actually had um, someone who was casting for Queen Boss who contacted me via message on Kickstarter and was like, hey, this is what we're doing. Um, you know, we'll interview you, yada, yada, yada. And it was, it, it, it was also... I guess it was affirming because I remember one of my friends um, posted about it and I had to pack up and it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I have to, you know, at some point I'm going to get to it. But so many different things and the Kickstarter was running. I did not have time to get to it. Um, and so um, time had run out for that, but the person or the, the casting director still contacted me and I was like, look at God. Look at God. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I was going to say, the Kickstarter really did bring about a lot of um, great opportunities. That was where someone had also contacted me about giving a TED Talk, too. Really? Um, so there were a lot of really great, yeah, there were a lot of really great opportunities that came out of it. And is it, isn't, like, the TED Talk, you have to go through, like, a few months with them or something beforehand? That's well, for, yeah. the, for TEDx, for TEDx um, event, um, from my understanding... Um, I guess someone needs to, to uh, God, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, someone needs to nominate you, mm-hmm. and I guess they decide from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the, the organizers, he saw the Kickstarter and um, just reached out to see if I was interested in giving a talk. And I was like, yeah. I mean, yeah. at that point in time, I, I, I wasn't accustomed to, to, um, to public speaking. I hated it. I still don't like it. But <laughs> um, I realize it's like a necessary evil. Um, but then I completely jumped on it. Um, and, you know, it turned out to be really great. Oh, did you do the TED Talk? Or TED? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. Um, I did it in February. It was the first um, TEDx event that was held at an HBCU. What? Well. what? Um, TEDx over. TEDx, mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to look it up. I'll, yeah. D- do you remember what your your um title was of um, your of your speech? Uh, um, you know, it's on my website. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. yeah I cannot remember the exact title. It was about um supporting and creating more black um, businesses, more entrepreneurship opportunities in the black community. Oh, and it was really catchy too. Yeah, I can't. Remember. <laughs> I can't remember. Well, I'm, def- I'm a researcher, so I'm definitely gonna find it and, and watch it and stuff. I think that this is really amazing. Like, 
Oh my goodness, that's so cool. I didn't. I honestly didn't even know that. I'm definitely gonna catch it. Yeah. Um, just know you have people rooting for you as we're watching. Like we recognize your brand, what you're doing. We're rooting for you, and clearly, you know, God is 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 moving and and working things out. Like you're clearly on your path and right. and doing the work he he wants you to do. So. I give it to you, girl. Yeah, that's a lot. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm still trying to figure things out, but <laughs> I do feel like I found, you know, I found my calling mm-hmm. um, in terms of being an entrepreneur and helping other black entrepreneurs. So. Yeah, I can definitely dig that. Well, I thank you again. Yeah, I'm excited for you. Thank you. It was a really good conversation, though. Yeah, I think so, too. I tell you, I told everybody about this. I'm like, listen, you're going to have to tune in <laughs> next week <laughs> because we have a dynamic guest. Um, and so I, I thank you. And how can people uh, follow you, get in touch with you on um, social? Um, I am Mandy X Bowman, uh, just about everywhere. Okay, perfect, perfect. Before we go, I want to give one more Shout out and special thanks to Mandy Bowman. Make sure that you follow her and you follow her official Black Wall Street pages. And you also check out her TEDx talk at Dover. The title of it is The Power of the Black Dollar. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. I want to give a special thanks to you all for listening to another episode of the Reals Events Podcast. Please make sure that you take a moment to subscribe like rate us like us on soundcloud itunes the podcast app stitcher or wherever else you're you're listening to us until next time bye jian